This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, where the questions get serious treatment, the hosts get put in their places, and the really good books get to have their say in the matter. Your hosts are Nathan Gilmore, Michael Farmer, and David Grubbs. You walked into the room, and the whole place stopped to notice, standing next to you, I feel hopeless and you know this. Welcome again, dear listeners, to this, another, and this time a new uh, episode of the Christian Humanist Podcast. I'm David Grubbs. It's my turn to host this week. I'm a professor of English at Central Christian College of Kansas in McPherson, Kansas. Uh, With me this morning, like most of them, uh, is Nathan Gilmore, who is an assistant professor of English at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. How are you this morning, Nathan? I'm actually feeling pretty good this morning, David. Oh, excellent, excellent. It's good to hear. Uh, Also with us is uh, Michael Farmer, Assistant Professor of English at Crown College in the awesomely named St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. Are you also feeling great this morning, Michael? I'm feeling okay. It's the the end of the semester, and I'm not sure if that fills me with joy or fear. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, the, the, the eschaton is always something about which I think humans will be ambivalent. And as Uh, usual, I'm more concerned with what comes after it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but there's a reckoning before that, you know, as always is in eschatons. Um, Well, Well, here's here's how stupid stupid I am, David. Mm -hmm. uh, All three of my classes have not only final exams, but papers due the the finals week. Which I, I don't know what on earth I was thinking, oh. especially since I'm leaving here the, uh, before finals week is even over, which I suppose means I'm going to be grading on a plane. It sounds like the world's worst action movie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that's uh, that's how stupid I am. So if there are any other first time, first year professors, don't do that. Don't uh, use your head. I staggered them all semester so that no two classes had a. Big project of the same week, and then for some reason I thought, oh, well, I'll have a lot of time at the end of the semester. Probably because I'm used to being in Athens, where I don't leave town until two days before Christmas. I didn't think that I would be... Right. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's how stupid I am. I think we're all in the same situation, man, because we've all got got family elsewhere now, and that whole... uh, leisurely coast to an end at Christmas because, you know, family's a short hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah, that time is no more. On the other hand, no portfolio grading. True enough. Woo! Yeah. I'm excited about that. Anyhow, um, we got uh, we got any feedback that we want to uh, respond to? 
I mean, other than Charles very justly pointing out like a week after it posted that uh, why on earth did we not have a forum folder for the environmentalism as an episode? Because my wife was in town. I hadn't seen her since fall break, and I didn't want to deal with it. That's why. In fact, oh, I saw that that got rectified eventually. You, you, the, the, <laughs> uh, I, I'm surprised I even got the episode uploaded. I think I did that at the very last minute. I don't know if our listeners know this, but my wife still lives in Florida, and I see her three or four times a semester, so... She takes priority. Yeah. Okay. Extend grace to the farmers, dear listeners. <laughs> we we do have an email. We have any s- other? We have we have a couple okay. emails here. One from uh, a cat named Matthew Block. He says he just listened to the environmentalism episode last night and quite enjoyed it, save for the abrupt disappearance of a certain host. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> I'm glad you discussed Augustine's view of the material world and the importance of a bodily resurrection as the focus of a larger physical restoration of all creation. Too often, I fear, certain Christian opposition to the issue of environmentalism seems to be born out of a rejection of the physical realm. The church has real work to do, some seem to say, saving souls, apparently disregarding the command to also care for people and their bodily needs, and ignoring God's declared love for all of creation, subsequent command to man to care for it. I think Matthew, uh, I, I, he may have already listened to it, but I think we go into that in even more detail when we, in, a, in the Plato episode, don't we, from last year? Like I believe so, yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, perhaps it's not working of an almost antinomian emphasis on faith to the exclusion of works. If we're saved by faith alone, then why bother working? If our salvation is dependent on a spiritual relationship with God, why worry about the physical world? It's a problem that confessional-slash-conservative Lutherans fall into far too easily, proclaiming rightly, I think, free justification by grace through faith, but then wrongly failing to ever think about sanctification, the process by which God transforms us and expects us to transform the part of creation in which we find ourselves. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's it's... It seems like a balancing act to me, as most things are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also includes a few suggestions for future episodes. Natural law. Mm-hmm. The Reformation. And literary yeah, heaven. Probably do that. I can't believe we haven't done a literary heaven episode. I, right, I, right. I, I, I know. I, I, was, I remember looking at that email thinking... Well, clearly he's seen the places where we should have. I mean, there's a there's a heaven episode shaped void <laughs> in our playlist. Uh, why why haven't we done that? And, and Matthew goes on. <clears throat> okay, I should get back to the edit of the article in which I'm working. He recently began work as communications manager for Lutheran Church Canada and editor of its national publication, Canadian Lutheran. Congratulations, Matthew. Um, I owe it yep. all to the Christian Humanist Podcast. He gushed with great sincerity and most earnest earnestness. Yea, verily, without their weekly <laughs> episodes, the devil had o'erthrown me by now. And again, God might save people by faith, but he likes best the ones that listen to the Christian Humanist Podcast. I like that. I do too, yeah. If, 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 if and we of had, course, if listeners, uh, if, if you don't recognize the name Matthew Block, you might recognize the name Captain Thin. Yep. We also got an email. Yeah, that's, that was the grand reveal at the end. He's he's the Bruce Wayne behind Captain Ten's Batman. <laughs> and now that we've blown his cover, his uh, his supervillains will be after his family. There you go. Um, we no. also we also have an email from one Carter Stepper. He says he's been meaning to send us an email for a while, and in the last minutes of an exceptionally slow day, found the time to do so. I wanted to thank you guys for the podcast. I stumbled upon it earlier this year and have benefited a great deal from it. In fact, you're my favorite podcast even though you sometimes make favorable comments about Bart. Hey, Christ the Sinner told me not to trust existentialists, so it must be so. And the the uh, ribbing of Christ the Sinner continues. Yes. 
I have been particularly helped, you'll be, you'll be glad to hear, by the episodes on Judas and Friendship, and I recently re-listened to the Richard Weaver trilogy. Good stuff all. I'm, I'm just going to see somebody liked our Richard Weaver trilogy. <laughs> he wants to know if we're doing an episode on romanticism. He has an interest in William Blake specifically, and it seems like it would be an interesting topic overall. Romanticism was actually on the slate for this semester, and then we ended up doing the Enlightenment episode um, instead, mostly as a private joke for Nathan. Um, but I, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll have a romantic romanticism episode before too long. Uh, he's also the, the guy who's been talking to me about Moby Dick on the uh, on the on the uh, not message board the blog. Nathan, I have heard you right. speak about your Anabaptist political thinking, and I was wondering, have you ever interacted with Two Kingdoms theology? It's primarily found in Lutheran churches and a small segment of the Reform world, but it has some interesting parallels in terms of the relationship between church and state. He would love to hear Nathan's thought on that, if Nathan has any. Well, honestly, I have heard the phrase Two Kingdoms Theology. Uh, I haven't really done any reading up on it, so I really don't have any informed thoughts on it just at the moment. The Christ the Sinner guys use that phrase about every 14 words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and honestly, I'm still not exactly sure what it means. The The PCUSA does not tend to talk in those terms. Right. Mm. Anyway... Thank you both, uh, Carter and, and Matthew, Captain Thin, uh, for, for writing in. And uh, if you, if you listener, want to email us and have us read it out on the air, uh, just send it, send it to thechristianhumanist at gmail.com. I also have an announcement about the forum. I think we made this announcement on an original version of the environmental episode, the one that got canceled. Canceled. Oh, yeah. The one that I deleted like an idiot. Um, so, see, how you can, <laughs> see how you could use uh, passive voice to keep yourself... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have about uh, 50 people waiting to, people, in, in quotation marks, waiting to be approved as members on the board. I am not going to approve any of them um, because I, I, I just assume they're all spam bots. So if you were registering for the forums, please do some combination of first name, space, last name. I don't care if it's your real name. Yes. Um, if Boethius Battlefield wants to go by Boethius Battlefield, that's his right. Um, but that—that's—that's that's the only way we're going to be able to tell who's real and who is just trying to sell us UGG boots. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we don't want UGG boots. They're abominations. <laughs> A byword among the nations. Yeah. Justly so. Um. Anywho, well, I. I Sounds like great feedback, and yes, uh, we we always love feedback, dear listeners. Uh, send us emails, leave us comments on the blog, and especially if you if you praise us gushingly, we'll read it on the air because we because we love that. Um, we've we've read so, negative criticism, negative feedback on the air as well, haven't we? Well, we have. I mean, what little have we? we get? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sh- we we should do that. That would be more balanced. <laughs> Anyhow, um, topic this week, shall we? Let's go. Sweet deal. Um, our topic is conferences. A uh, few episodes back, the one that I wasn't there, uh, you and uh, Michael and Nathan were. Uh, having a nice little chat about conferences, which was very frustrating to me as I listened passively <laughs> that I couldn't just hop in and, and start talking. Um, so I thought I'd bring that up again so that, well, 
actually, because I'm the host today. So I can, again, listen passively while you talk about <laughs> conferences. Um, though, for those, of, uh, for those who, don't, who don't play the academic game, those who are not in uh, what Fred Sanders calls the Tweed Monkey Mafia, um, which I love that phrase. Um, Do you guys actually wear tweed? A little less. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. With elbow patches? Oh, yeah. I don't, have, I don't have anything tweed. Um, you know, well, you know, you gotta, gotta have at least one thing tweed. Anyhow, um, for those of, uh, the, those of our listeners who, 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 who aren't, you know, part of that particular sect of people, um, some explanation of what exactly an academic conference is might be helpful. So, Nathan, if, if you could just, define the words and give some kind of a broad description without without showing any of the cards we'll be playing later. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm not going to define each word individually because they mean most as a phrase. Uh, an academic conference is usually an annual gathering of learned people, generally a lot of grad students, uh, some young professors and a few big shots. Uh, they get together. There's usually a big name plenary speaker who gives talks to the entire gathering. And then for the rest of the weekend, uh, it consists largely of breakout sessions, uh, which have nothing to do with Noxzema, but actually involve <laughs> groups of three or four learned people. Again, usually grad students and younger professors, uh, delivering papers that they've written. And the purpose of academic conferences is largely to explore ideas, to throw ideas out in front of a, an audience of peers uh, on the way to some sort of publication. So, I mean, a lot of times the standard sequence of things is to write something up as an academic paper, uh, deliver it at a conference, hear the feedback that the people give at the conference, and then revise it and submit it to some sort of journal for publication. So, uh, in its modern sense, the academic conference is, is at least partly a place where ideas go before they get published. The other function that academic conferences often serve, especially the big annual conferences of the national associations, uh, is to get schools who are hiring new faculty and graduate students who are looking to become new faculty in the same place at the same time uh, so that massive chains of interviews can happen. Uh, so every year you hear about just this throng of grad students going to the American Philosophical Association meeting or the Modern Language Association meeting or so on and so forth. Uh, and at least part of what goes on is just this long chain of, well, junior faculty at small colleges who are trying to move up to bigger colleges and then graduate students trying to get into the game in the first place, going through these long interviews, standing in long lines, I did not know that death had undone so many. <laughs> one of, one of Michael, the nice, would you? <laughs> one of the nice things about Christian colleges is they do not tend to conduct their interviews at uh, at, at the MLA conference. So, so uh, I, I didn't have to go through that horrible experience. Did, neither one of you did either, right? I've never even been to MLA. No, I've I've never <clears throat> been to MLA either. Nope. No, I, I I was I was very glad that that. You know the colleges that I had applied to worked the way that they did, um, 
uh, frankly, I, 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 I can't help but think that it actually helped their hiring process. Um, I, I can't imagine that you get any kind of quality assessment of, of a job candidate um, by making that kind of a broadcasting call. Or at least nothing you couldn't get from a phone interview. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't. So, I, I, don't I really don't know what that. And maybe maybe somebody who knows better than me can tell me what, what the purpose of the big MLA interviews is, other than making everybody tired, cranky, and anxious. Well, and be paid members of the MLA. Right. And actually, Michael, that's a card I was going to play later, so... Oh, I'm sorry. David's warning about playing later cards. Please heed it. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Um, well, You're if, worse it, than Hitler. If, if we're... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's, a, that's a way earlier card. Yeah, we can't play that card anymore. We had a whole episode about that. Um, so... Yeah, if we're starting to impinge on future cards, we'd probably better move this along. <laughs> um, before we, well, before we move along, let's move back a little. So, Michael, when did these strange creatures arise out of the, I don't know, primordial ooze? I don't know. Where did they arise from? What's what's the history here? It is difficult to find information about the history of academic conferences online. And as you might imagine, simply Googling academic conference history brings you up dozens of web pages <laughs> about history conferences. Right, um, the American History Association. <laughs> one thing you can say for sure is that the modern academic conference is a child or stepchild of the ancient Greek symposia. And in, the, in, in a symposium, men would get together, they'd maybe have a meal. Certainly, they would imbibe mass quantities of alcohol. There would be drinking games, there would be music, of course, there would be prostitution. And more importantly, perhaps, there would be heady discussions on a variety of topics. So the most famous symposium in history is obviously Plato's. Here the Greek poet Agathon has thrown a symposium. He's invited notable guests, Socrates and Aristophanes, several other people, Phaedrus, people you know. Um, The topic of discussion is love. (laughs) Every guest has a turn. They all tell different sorts of stories. The most famous is Aristophanes' tells a story about how people were originally had four legs and two heads and you know they got split in half and now everybody's looking for their other half finally Alcibiades speaks at this point everybody's drunk so they either fall asleep or stumble home <laughs> uh, we <laughs> we can assume that most real life symposia did not have such good conversation and probably they wouldn't have had such organized topics but as far as I can tell Plato's symposium is a ideal description of Greek Greek symposia in general. Now, we don't have, it doesn't look like that quite like that anymore. Nathan was kind enough to point out that the first MLA convention was, uh, I, th- I think, 1884. Is that right, Nathan? That's correct. And I- that ML- is correct. MLA for 125 years held their stupid convention at the worst possible <laughs> time, which is to say December 27 through 29. Yeah. We, I mean, I just can't... The only, the only time I can imagine it would be worse is the three days right before Christmas. Right, that, right. For, for 125 years, that's when they held that conference. And now this year, or next year, I should say, it's finally being moved. So I think it starts on January 2nd now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I understand why they had to put it there. 
because uh, I mean, you you can't count on everybody having the same fall break off and things like that. But man, what an awful time! That's one reason I never went. Um, I I do have two big questions about the change to modern conferences from from the ancient Greek symposia. When did we move from off discuss off the cuff discussion to systematic? Monologues. When did we get the plenary lecture and then these breakout groups where people read papers instead of just talking back and forth? And then when did the mm-hmm. drinking move from the most important thing to the second most important thing about an academic conference? <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. Those conferences are still soaked in alcohol. I mean, yes, they are. It's, well, and, it's and the reason some... a lot of people go. Oh, yeah, and by a stroke of bad fortune, I always seem to draw. In the few conferences I have read papers at, I always seem to draw early Sunday morning slots. Really? <laughs> Which is to say, I draw attendance in the single digits. Oh, man. Yeah. The the few who aren't nursing hangovers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. I, I, I used Did to... the British Society have something to do with that? Yeah, the Royal Society certainly had some yeah, role Royal to play Society, because yeah. that was a gathering of scientists, and this was, you know, the period where they were starting to distinguish themselves from academic philosophers, uh, who would, in fact, read uh, papers to each other. And, of course, the proceedings of the Royal Society are available in various places online. But uh, I, I think that there in the, the late 17th century, Michael, is one of the, the turning points that you're referring to where uh, it became a matter of coming to hear other people's pre-digested ideas and then to discuss them rather than to throw a topic out and to chew on it, you know, extemporaneously. Now, as far as the division between plenary and breakout sessions, I really don't have any sense of when that came to pass. Listeners, if you have an idea, by all means, we'd like to learn. I always thought of that as mainly functional, you know, that kind of like the, they're the headliner and, and, you know, you've got all these other little bands who are going to be playing off on the side, but people are mainly coming to see the headliner. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. I don't think that's true. I don't think people I, go to those conferences to see the headliner. I think oh, no? I think people okay. go to the conferences to present their own papers. Yeah, they really do to be seen and heard. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, I've never gone to a conference where I wasn't reading a paper. So, have you ever gone to a conference where you enjoyed the keynote speaker? The plenary speaker? Um, no. Yeah, I, I've been to one, the Christianity and Lake <laughs> conference I went to in April. I enjoyed the, the, the plenary speaker. who happened, I think he was the academic dean of Vanguard University where it was held. So he was, it wasn't like he was a celebrity. Uh, you know, and you have to right. put celebrity Actually, actually Michael, I take that back. There, there, there was one uh, Milton conference I went to back in 2003, I believe. Uh, where Stan Fish gave the keynote address, and it was really quite good. Well, there you go. But St- Stanley Fish is about as big as you get in academia. Most of, most of the time you oh, get yeah, these yeah. kind of mid-level, quote-unquote, celebrities who you never heard of before you got there, and they uh, they speak in <laughs> jargon, and I can I can never follow it. And, you know, I usually end up drawing pictures until they're, uh, until they're done. <laughs> I remember I went to this post-colonialism conference at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and everybody was so impressed that this woman had, you know, I don't do post-colonialism. I happen to have a paper, 
and I wanted to go to Santa Barbara, so I, I went to the conference, and I, I'd never heard of this, but I could not understand a word she said, both because she had a very thick um, Indian accent, and because, as far as I can tell, she she had much less content than words, much less content than words. So, it wasn't uh, Gaitari Spivak, by chance, was it? It was not. I would have known her, and I probably would oh, have okay, stayed okay, for okay. the plenary lecture. I probably would have gone off for lunch somewhere. Because I, I know, I know better. I know better than to try to listen to Spivak. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, no, no, because like, like I said, it's never anybody. Else? It's never anybody hmm? that big of a name. Okay. Well, well, is there anything else that we wanted to say? I mean, before we move on to you know, kind of more storytelling uh, about the function of conferences. I mean, uh, I, I've heard uh, a lot of uh, complaints about. Uh, well, the the inconveniences of time and the unattractiveness mm-hmm. of plenary speakers and so forth. But so, why, why on earth do we perpetuate this cycle of violence, Nathan? Well, <laughs> uh, first of all, it's just institutional <laughs> inertia. Uh, they've been having it since 1884, <laughs> uh, and they're not about to stop. You know, I mean, people online, you know, insidehighered.com, various blogs are always calling for a reformation of the conference system that we don't need the big national conferences anymore that we could do the equivalent of the MLA interview by means of Skype or a phone interview like Michael said uh largely it is you know the fact that the MLA conference draws a lot of money uh it's good for the folks who run it and therefore you know they continue to pitch themselves as you know the place to go if you want a research one academic job uh now i mean here's the thing i mean i i can imagine a situation where a critical mass of universities suddenly say we're not doing mla anymore at which point the mla would in its current form crumble and become something else entirely i can also imagine a scenario in which the mla continues to be the place to go for a research one academic job for the next 50 years uh, it's something that I'm not even going to try to predict. Now, I will say that I do have greater hope, because largely because of Michael's stories, for the smaller conferences, the ones that are more dedicated to particular topics rather than mm-hmm. gigantic garga- gargantuan learned societies. Uh, and I think those really can be places where people of a like mind can go and exchange genuinely interesting ideas without spending the you know, thousands of dollars in conference fees and airfare uh, to do so. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as far as perpetuating the cycle, that has to do with inertia. As far as moving the cycle in a different direction, I think that has to do with, well, frankly, some of the things we're going to be talking about here a little bit later. So, you know, again, I'll, I'll, I'll hold back that card, David. Cool. Well, we've already started telling... Uh, you know, sh- sharing a few anecdotes of, of conferences that we that we've been to, um, but you know, I, I think it'd be good to kind of lay you know kind of lay out the the range of uh, of our our knowledge, um, and uh, apparently the differences between conferences can be pretty pretty stark. So um, I'd like to talk about you know what conferences have we been part of, and. Well, also the, the the sorts of people that you found at those conferences, uh, um, and uh, well, I guess we'll start with you, Michael, because you've you've already been you know sharing a f- a, a, f- a few uh, 
juicy and interesting anecdotes. So yeah, go go get anecdoty. Well, I was gonna I was gonna talk about the keynote speakers here, but I apparently could not contain my disdain, and we want to head into that. I, I, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out about those plenary speakers is I have never been to a conference where the the plenary speaker was in the room for anything other than his or her own speech. That uh, they have hmm. all disappeared after after they've really? given their incomprehensible lecture. Okay, you need to go to a Milton conference then, Michael, because Stan Fish was going from breakout session to breakout session. Which is interesting because Stan Fish is someone who I think we could all agree has no need to do that. No, absolutely not. And and nobody would fault him for not but, doing it. Yeah. But I admire him so much for having the desire to do it. You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Academic ego is such a funny thing because you're you're um you know l- less than a thousand people know who you are if, if you're a famous oh, sure, academic sure. and yet you walk around acting like you're Bono or somebody. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that conference. I mean, it really was something special because the three biggest Miltonists in America, two of whom unfortunately have died since. Uh, we're all going from session to session. Albert Labriola, John Shawcross, and Stan Fish were all involved in the conference pretty much at every step. Well, that's incredible. Mm. That's mm-hmm. good to hear. That's, that sounds less like the uh, less like the rock star archetype and more like the god walking among mortals archetype. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not uh, turning into swans and having sex with... Uh. <laughs> not that not that kind of godly no not that kind um i also wanted uh. to mention the grad student organizer because so many of these conferences that i've been to have been set up for graduate students and one one mm. poor graduate student almost always a woman um ends up having to organize and run the poor thing and she's uh running back and forth with a clipboard trying to make sure everybody's paid She's kind of hung between the grown-ups and the kids, as it were. She doesn't quite fit in with the at the kid table with the rest of the grad students. On the other hand, she's not a professor either. I always feel bad for the grad student organizers, although I'm sure it looks good on their CV. Um, mm-hmm. There's also, as as we've mentioned, a lot of these conferences tend to be inhabited by grad students and untenured faculty, and so there's always a tenured faculty member who's walking around being kind. I, I remember um, I went to a... Irish studies conference in Rock Hill, South Carolina, of all places, and uh, I, I spent time with this tenured art professor who, at the end of the week, told me I was going to make it, it was going to be okay, and, and I, I remember being very grateful for that. Um, I also wanted to talk about a group I can no longer be a part of, which is the Smokers Club. When I used to smoke, it was a pleasure to go to the conference and stand outside in the designated smoking area because you would uh, make immediate friends with all the other people who smoked. Uh, uh, even if you didn't, you know, even if you didn't share any of their academic interests or whatever, because it's just a kind of a built-in community. So those are the uh, those were the four: the keynote speaker, the grad student organizer, the friendly tenure professor, and the smokers club that I uh, that I had in mind. <laughs> cool. cool. And I knew I knew neither one of you would bring up the Smokers Club. <laughs> yeah, true enough. I've I've not been part of that club, so I, I was actually unaware of that particular group. See, that, um, was, that that's a good insight. I, I I like that little window into humanity. Well, the <laughs> I, I've just got a couple people to add, David. One of them is the breathless book buyer. Uh, who comes <laughs> rushing into breakout sessions, just entirely excited that they got a 
uh, list price $80 tome on post-structural scatological poetry in the 18th century Irish movement uh, for only $25. (laughs) What now? Enlightenment diarrhea studies. Yeah, yeah, basically. Well, there's a, Uh, there's a field that just opened up. Well, and I mean, I, I, and I, I think of these people because I always try to at least feign some sort of shared excitement even though I look at the title and think, oh my goodness, what, <laughs> you know, what, what have you bought? <laughs> um, so that, that, that's one sort of person. Uh, the other sort of person is the, the walking sneer. And I, if you can imagine the Cheshire cat with a sneer instead of a grin, uh, this is the sort of people that I always seem to run into. And I, I don't know if I draw it upon myself by my personality or what, I don't know if they smell fear, uh, but these are the people who <laughs> ask you what project you're working on right now, and you can just tell that the reason they're asking you is so that immediately after you finish your brief pitch, they can sneer and say, well, don't you think that project's already been done? Or something of the ilk. And I mean, the, the, uh, every conference I have gone to, when I get into conversations with people and I tell them about, you know, what I'm working on at the moment, these are the people I run into. And I mean, this is why by the end of every academic conference, with the exception of the Milton Conference that I've ever been to, I have been ready to come back to North Georgia, never go to another conference again. Uh, I usually get roped in a few years later, uh, usually by old UGA friends, but uh you know, I mean, it's it's the walking sneer that really makes the conference a frightful place for me. I've never David, met who do you have in sneer. mind? What now? I've never met a walking sneer at a conference. I'm I'm not doubting they oh, exist, man. but I apparently do not attract them. Apparently, I you know, apparently they sense fear, so they come and gravitate to me, and they say, "Oh, let's make him let's make him squirm." I, I met a walking sneer once, uh, who, whose whose reply uh, after I'd answered the "What are you working on?" question was, "Oh, no one's interested in that anymore." Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> what would what would lead a person to act like that? What's in it for them? That's what I, I don't understand. Well, Michael, that this is why I don't like academic conferences. <laughs> <laughs> well. Uh, I, 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 w- I will say, it, well, it's it's it seems like just just from hearing you guys though that that you have been to a conference though where you felt like ah I am among my people. Yeah. Um, that's how I felt when uh, my wife and I went to uh, Villanova's Patristic and Renaissance conference, mm-hmm. uh, not last autumn but uh, autumn before last, when uh, when we had time and the extra scratch to actually drive to Pennsylvania for a conference. Um, I mean, since it starts off with patristic, um, that's already kind of a hint. It's held at Villanova University, which is, uh, well, it's become famous for, you know, or notorious for some other things in more recent academic news, but is also a, uh, a, a university that's run by the Augustinian Order of Friars. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that you have at that particular conference is the genial friar. <laughs> Basically, you know, gentlemen in clerical collars who just kind of wander around with, you know, glasses of sherry or whatever. And 
and just seem happy to see everybody there and are and are, are very kind and they ask questions that you know at the end of your session help you you know look good <laughs> david i anyway, tend to think uh, of you I, as I, a I, genial fryer i really enjoyed that well yeah except you know sans glass of sherry but you know it'll be a coffee mug but but yeah that's i mean that's the <laughs> archetype i've tried to model and it was really fun to actually meet like actual friars <laughs> So that that was cool, though I, I did meet one. Uh, there there were grad students and and all the rest, and uh, you know you could tell that the young faculty who were looking for for bigger and greater things. But uh, one uh, one archetype I met is one that I'll call the blustering pedant. Um, some poor I don't think it was even a grad student. I think it was up an upper level undergraduate at Villanova who'd been encouraged to present a really good paper, a really good undergraduate paper in a session uh that was sort of generally on Franciscan studies. Mm. And in her paper she made some kind of sort of broadly uh sort of broad generalization about franciscans versus dominicans in uh in in terms of which is more open to affective religion which one is more open to mystical experience than the other and during the question session some guy who had tenure and three books written all over him uh, stands up and just browbeats the poor girl for making broad generalizations about Dominicans. Clearly, he had a lot of skin in that game. And wow. uh, which is I, it's everybody's I, I worst nightmare. So sad for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that her 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 fear had come upon her, as, as Job said. <laughs> um, though that that conference had a really really good plenary speaker. Uh, it was all about Aquinas, Nathan. Which, oh, very or, sorry, good. Tom, very good, Thomas. If I if I may be more correct, um, all about the angelic doctor, and it was a, uh, yeah, it was it was really really cool. So yeah, I enjoy, I enjoyed that one. Um, one last story though, when when you brought up the the graduate students who are running the thing, Michael, um, it reminded me of stories that I've been told by uh, my friend James Gregory at UGA, who was at. Uh, Michigan State, I believe, um, where they have the annual Kalamazoo Medievalist Congress, uh, Congress, and the the grad students in the medieval studies department there are the ones who organize the thing. Um, for him, it was it, it was an opportunity not to run around looking haggard and stressed, but a chance to rub shoulders with, well, uh, basically all of the admired deities of the medievalist pantheon. Um, the story that uh, I think he loves telling most is the one about uh, basically having a beer with the uh, with a, with a three sheets to the wind Tom Shippey, huh. which uh, t- to me is just is just amazing. <laughs> so I don't know. Some sometimes the grad student who's organizing things gets a gets a, a chance for that those kinds of encounter with awesomeness. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, shifting into more, less storytelling, more theorizing, um, 
few uh, few weeks ago, I uh, noticed that Fred Sanders had posted on uh, the Scriptorium blog about delivering papers at conferences. Uh, he was talking about ETS in particular, which uh, I believe was recently. It's the Evangelical um, Theological Society. Correct. Yeah, Evangelical Theological Society, but I, I think that happened last week, a couple weeks ago. Anyway. It's usually in November. Um, okay. Most of it was practical advice uh, about public speaking and conference etiquette, you know, the kind of stuff that your, your, your advisor gives you before you go to a conference. Um, but there were two points <laughs> that he made that I really liked. Um, he says to write the kind of paper that you wish somebody would give and then he had some really nice things to say about using conferences as place to, places to try out new ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, Nathan, you want to say say something in I don't know interaction with with Fred about uh, you know writing the kinds of papers you wish somebody would give? Yeah, I mean, I when I read that, I obviously I can't read the mind of Fred Sanders, but what I thought of was <laughs> a couple papers that I have given recently. Uh, that I've really sort of framed in terms of if I were going to teach this, this would be the thought process I would go through. Uh, And they've both been uh, Renaissance drama and film papers, uh, which is not my field at all, but it is something that students connect with very readily. Uh, So one of my papers was on the the Michael Radford Merchant of Venice movie with Al Pacino as Shylock. Uh, The other one was uh, was about... uh, the movie musical Little Shop of Horrors as a send-up of Dr. Faustus. And in nice. both of those cases, what I tried to avoid was a whole lot of film theory, a whole lot of trying to tweak the categories of the academic establishment and so on and so forth. And I, I framed both of those papers in terms of what kinds of questions would I be asking myself if I were planning to teach this play in conjunction with this film. Uh, and in both cases, like I said, the audiences were small. Uh, but in both cases, I did have uh, a person or two, you know, out of the five who were there, uh, approach me after the paper and, you know, just kind of say, you know, this is very interesting. I'm going to go back and take a look at that film again. Uh, and the conversation very readily turned towards, you know, if we are teaching a Renaissance drama course, uh, what sorts of things, you know, could we incorporate into that unit on Merchant of Venice or Dr. Faustus in conjunction with this movie, what kind of assignments could we design, so on and so forth. Uh, So, I mean, since I am someone who thinks of himself as a teacher first and a writer second, uh, it really was one of those things where, you know, when Fred Sanders wrote that, he was sort of naming something that I was trying to do without realizing I was trying to do it. So, you know, as far as... um, what Fred Sanders had in mind, I had no idea, but what I have in mind is <laughs> since I am a teacher and I go to these conferences thinking, can I pick up ideas for teaching things differently? That's the sort of paper that I would like to hear. So that's the sort of paper that I tend to write. Have Michael, you ever done yeah. that? have you ever done that, David? Uh, deliver the kind of paper that you, that you wish people would. Uh-huh. I haven't, uh, honestly, I hadn't been, um, I hadn't been to enough conferences to to get over the sense of OMG, I'm at a conference. Yeah. To be able to say, man, I really wish they would give these kinds of papers. Mm-hmm. Um, though, though I, I've been, I guess I've been kind of blessed in the ones that I've attended. Um, and in, in addition to PM, uh, the the Patristic Medieval and Renaissance Conference, 
there was a conference that I attended at uh, New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, it was EMNR, Evangelical Ministries to New Religions. It was kind of a, a, a sort of comparative religion conference, um, but from a uh, from a from a Christian evangelical point of view. And so they had all kinds of breakout sessions on uh, well, all, all kinds of religious movements. And I was like a kid in a candy shop um, because that that's that stuff interests me. And so I, 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 I guess I've, I've been kind of blessed in not going to the conferences that consist only of the, the sorts of things that leave you a desiccated husk at the end. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've, been, I've been to the ones where every breakout session uh, left me in, the, in, the, in a state of inner turmoil as I compared the papers in two different sessions and – and knew that I, if I could split myself, I would be in both. So, which, I've, which I've, Katie chose unwisely at one point and ended up in an Aquinas session with me, and she was not glad that she'd done so. <laughs> it was a little stultifying, I will admit that. I, I've delivered but this I sort of paper awesome. I wish other people would only once. It was at this um, undergraduate, graduate-level conference at my alma mater, Tacoma Falls. Nathan, you were there. I, uh, I gave oh, yeah, a, yeah. I gave much less of an academic paper and much more of a public lecture on Walker Percy and what he might say to 21st century evangelicals, and I did my best to kind of appropriate Percy's scornful, humorous voice in the paper. I'm not sure how successful it was, and I got a lot of blank stares from the undergraduates who populated the <laughs> lecture, but... Uh, I, I I enjoyed doing that one, and coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, that's the only paper I've ever given for an academic, for a conference where it wasn't something I'd written for a class. I, I wrote that oh, okay. specifically for mm-hmm. the for the uh, conference. I, I enjoyed that conference mostly because the stakes were so incredibly low for me. I mean, it, it wasn't going to help uh-huh. my career really. It was just fun to go and you know not worry about running into the walking sneer. Right, I, I remember. I remember that conference well, Michael, only because they put me in the biggest hall I've ever lectured to. Yeah, the auditorium. <laughs> I remember that. And I, I mean, you know, that there there weren't that many people in it, but just the size of the room was terribly intimidating. That's great. I, I you you make me remember things, uh, Michael, uh, the, because there was a uh, the last year. Um, UGA's gra- uh, graduate department. They, every year they have their own kind of in-house conference, which this year they opened up to uh, to other colleges and universities, trying to kind of uh, make, make it a venue for for more regional um, academic you know discussion, um, which which I thought was very cool. But I gave a paper in which I took a couple of different um, medieval works that uh are pretty uh pretty often talk about Beowulf and um the uh so one of one of the holy grail romances but talked about how using uh using well actually Monty Python and the Holy Grail can can actually give us some ideas about structure that can help us think differently about some structural things within those medieval works. That sounds and that like was a David actually Grubb's a lot paper. of fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it it was actually, it was really, really awesome because I, I felt, 
I felt so comfortable and the room was that they were, you know, people were very open to it and nobody's interested um, in it was, well, I, I didn't get that at the end. At the end, I got, oh my gosh, you got Monty Python in a conference. I'm like, yes, I did. I was so proud. I was so proud of me. I was actually kind of insufferable, but it, I, I it, was, it went well and they, they were gracious. I, I was happy to go back to my uh, alma mater, stand in front of a group of undergraduates and uh, use profanity because I was quoting Percy. It was, it was cathartic. <laughs> Well, I, I'm going to pitch. Uh, I'm going to pitch Fred's uh, second second suggestion that you, my Michael. Um, he, he talks about trying out new ideas at the at the end of that article. What what's he getting at when he uh, when he asks uh, when he suggests doing that? I mean, aren't we doing that already? I, I think the idea is you're supposed to bring undeveloped ideas to these conferences and then the spirit of academic camaraderie will allow you to develop them further and in directions you hadn't anticipated. The problem with trying out new ideas in that way is the other attendees are very rarely much help as far as my experience goes. Um, It's not their fault. It is difficult to get the finer points of a 15-minute paper read aloud when you're tired and hungover and you've listened to 20 other papers of, the, of similar length and depth. Um, mostly the Q&A time that he praises that happens after you give your paper is an excuse for other participants to blather on about their own research interests. And again, I don't blame them. Mm. It, it, I don't, I don't, I've never asked a decent question at a conference either. Um, I think more likely you're going to find help with your new projects at dinner or in the smokers club, which is probably the, the place at an academic conference, the, the places at an academic conference where it, it's closest to the spirit of the original symposia. Mm-hmm. Because it's, mm. it's just kind of free flowing. Although my experience is mostly the smokers club and the banquets. You talk about pop culture. You don't, you don't talk about academics as much. <laughs> <laughs> now I have a friend. Conviviality. I have a friend who passes out copies of his paper, and then he just kind of gives the high points, and I wonder if he gets better feedback because they have a copy of the paper in front of them. But I also don't have enough verve to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that again, I, I know I keep harping on this Milton conference, but one thing that set it apart was that the participants sent our papers to each other a couple of weeks ahead of the conference. So at least the people on the panel were asking really very good questions of each other. Mm, that's cool. I mean, I, I, I tried to do that, you know, at the conferences that I'm at. And so I'll, I'll be in the session that I've spoken in. I'm like, I want to be, I want to play well with others. And so I'm listening very, very closely to these papers uh-huh. trying to think, what kind of question can I ask? What can I ask? And so often I end up dry just because, I don't, you know, I, I I don't have a background in what they're talking about, and so, you know, I I don't know what a good question looks like. But I guess that's one of the cool things about going to a a more topically focused conference. Mm-hmm. Is you you know, I I guess the the base level of knowledge that your audience has, or you as the audience have about what's being presented, is is higher. Of course, mm-hmm. then you run into the problem of feeling. Like you don't know enough about that area. 
Like it's your area, but you feel like everybody else knows more than you. Uh... Which is pretty much where I live. Right. So it's a it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. I've right. Been to... Oh yeah. When I'm in a room with when I'm in a room with Renaissance people, I'm terrified. Right. I, I've done three or mm. four conferences in areas in which I have read exactly one text. In fact, that that Irish conference I went to, I did not know a single book that was being presented on. Not one. So wow. that was that was fairly aggravating, and uh, I didn't have a car. So I had to stay at the conference all day. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, shall we? Shall we shift into fantasy mode? Let's go. Alrighty. Put on your wizard's um, cloak, David. <laughs> yes. Yes, I shall. It has many, many twinkly stars upon it. Um. All right. So all of that. All of that is groundwork. All of that is prolegomena for this, the real event, the wish casting of the Christian Humanist Conference. Um, so I guess a bunch of questions I'll throw out and you guys field whatever uh, whatever interests you. Um, what conference functions that we've talked about would we want to emphasize at a Christian Humanist Conference? Um, what conferences have we mentioned will it be more like uh, who are the people in our neighborhood, you know, or the people we'd like to have in the Christian humanist neighborhood? Um, and how do we encourage cool papers and friendly environments um, that, well, at least that Fred Sanders wants? So, well, uh, first I'll pitch it to you, Michael. Um, we have talked in the past. I mean, I really think this is something we will eventually do. Um and and one of the things we've talked about is making it half academic conference and half kind of layperson's intellectually re- retreat. And I think that will go a long way in diffusing academic superiority. Uh, also making it interdisciplinary instead of just, uh, just English, um, like most of the conferences I've been to and probably most of the conferences you guys have been to as well. I think um, that would be that would be helpful. I think it would be interesting to have a formal symposium where there it's not reading papers it's a group of people just getting together and talking about whatever uh whatever whatever topic you assign or whatever those are just some ideas i had again i don't know how feasible that is it, i I, su- I suppose it could be that if you mix the academic conference with the layperson retreat you're going to get a bunch of arrogant professors stampeding over everybody else but I don't know. <laughs> I hope not. I would hope not. I mean, what I'd like to see, Michael, along that vein, and it's something that I actually started thinking about when I got your show notes initially, David, would be what I would call a rolling start symposium, where mm-hmm. a month before the conference starts, uh, you open up some sort of online discussion forum. Uh, and have you know a set number of participants who are going to be sort of the roundtable, exchange ideas in that context, publish the address of that conversation to anyone who wants to come to the conference, and then once you get into the room with the panel members and whoever else shows up, you just keep that conversation rolling where it was left off online. And I think you know that I, I think that would capture the spirit of the symposium without necessarily turning it into a 
well, frankly, into a televised presidential debate where the question flies up, but then everyone just talks about their own talking points. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where, <laughs> you know, I, I guess the ground rule could be that, you know, uh, you have to start out not talking about your own research interests, but actually addressing a post that somebody else made in the online discussion and kind of get it rolling that way. Another thing that I'd like to see, uh, and, you know, Michael's uh, point about the blended academic and non-academic constituency of this conference, uh, you know, what I would like to see is, you know, something along the lines of a breakout session, not for academics, but for professors to play professor for the people there. And I know this is something that happens at a lot of uh, ministry conferences, uh, some that I've been to and a lot that I've heard about. And I think that it's something that, you know, we could very, very nicely extend to something more like a Christian humanist conference where, you know, basically you come to the thing again. I mean, I, I, I can imagine just because of the ease of distributing information via the Internet, actually providing people with some materials ahead of time for these sessions and then actually getting into the sessions uh, and having, you know, genuine middle brow conversations rather than either, you know, formal papers on very, very specialized topics or talking about what Lady Gaga did more, most recently, uh, you know, to sort of <laughs> land somewhere in the middle there, I think is possible if you actually thoughtfully use the infrastructure, for lack of a better phrase, that you have present. David, I go ahead and throw some of your ideas in, man. I I, I really do. I, I really do like this. I love I love the idea of 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 blending the do to do kind of things because, well, I it's it's bringing uh, bringing what we do at least the 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 thing the things that. Um, the things that we do in the in the academy that we think would benefit wider audiences that we think wider audiences would would appreciate would enjoy mm-hmm. um, and and laying those out I think um, you know the 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 conferences where uh, that that seem more in in exer- exercises in uh, in exclusion um, in uh, specialization to the point where you know you can you can feel like you're not part at all of what's going on um i i don't i i don't think that's what what this project is about anyway um you know i don't i don't want to be seen as the exclusive godlike you know knowledge figure that that you know ordinary men do not understand and defer to um, see, see you know, I do, I, but I, I like feel bad the... about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I love, like to think that you know that there's there's a wider audience of ordinary people that would actually appreciate and enjoy a lot of this stuff uh-huh. if it was if it was presented in a way that was accessible to them, right? Um, and and this seems like a, a really good way of of kind of framing that up. Mm-hmm. And I guess here's the other thing, and I and you guys can tell me that I'm nuts right after I say it. I encourage you to. But I think that given the again the ease with which one can distribute materials beforehand, you know, pretty much as soon as somebody registers for the conference, 
Uh, mm-hmm. My inclination would be to minimize as much as possible the delivery of papers. Uh, I think that, you know, again, that that rolling start symposium is something that is a genuine possibility given that you can distribute your papers so easily over social networks, email, so on and so forth. So that, I mean, you could go into these rooms uh, having already digested the content that the person was going to unilaterally deliver. And then instead of using that hour to hear three different people read 20 minute papers, you could use that hour Mm -hmm. and a half actually to have conversation Uh, again about those sort of middle brow new ideas uh, that Fred Sanders is all about, you know? And so I, I guess, Michael, I mean, what I, what I would like to see is for the symposium end of things to move not to leave dinner, because I certainly want to talk about intellectual things at dinner, but also to spread out so that it also <laughs> occupies the breakout section, sessions. Yeah, no, it sounds, sounds good to me. It, yeah. I, I, and also, I organi- that, organized I smokers club. I think it works club. out really well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're going to have a smokers club? It depends on where right. you hold the conference, I suspect. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about your campuses, but uh, that that would not be uh, permittable here. Well, you know, we we could just call it the C.S. Lewis area. Who's going to say no to C.S. Lewis? I know exactly. That's brilliant. Um, now I want to do this. Let's get this set up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, too, though, I think, um, you know, I will say something. This is a a rash generalization, but um, I'm I'm praising the community I'm in. So that's that's welcome. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Just go into a. uh, Well, you know, just the average Christian bookstore um, and well, I don't know about the average, but most Christian bookstores, you go in there, and there will be a section that is middle bell, middle brow presentations of the kinds of things that academic theologians, academic Bible scholars, things like that, the things that they're interested in, but but presented in ways that are accessible to laymen. Um, and I, I I think that's something that um, historically uh, Christianity, particularly uh, evangelical Christianity, has been good at mm-hmm. wanting to keep wanting to keep lay people um, in that conversation. Um, and so I, I I I think that's 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 a good model that we can take and just kind of expand and say you know other academic areas can be can be middle browed <laughs> mm-hmm. in, 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 in that same way. Um, and I, I, I like that. We keep using the term middle brow. Anybody want to define it real quickly, just in case, you know, our listeners haven't been, you know, keeping up with all of those Tory guys and the way they use that expression. Not Spivak, not Lady Gaga. Intellectual conversation for people who are not formally trained in academia. Mm-hmm. So somewhere yeah. between highbrow and lowbrow, which are fraught and 
troubling terms in their own right, but middlebrow for some reason I don't have a problem with. Our show is is middlebrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, almost certainly. Yeah. Well, because it's because it's middle, and you know, you like you like the via media. Mm-hmm. So. Between is the only. Honor but I, I just mean you know labeling people according to the height of their forehead seems a little bit troubling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. I guess we better round this thing down. Um, wind it down, not round it down. That's that's math. Anyhow, <laughs> um, winding down. And well, until until our Christian Humanist Conference exists. Um, I guess. Uh, what kind of advice do you want to give uh, you know, our listeners who are in academia, whether it's students or faculty or whatever, the people who attend or will attend conferences? And you can be as you know as practical or theoretical as you like. Um, how do you win a conference, or at least at least survive it, Nathan? Stay away. No, I. <laughs> <laughs> um, until we Man, I, I, I just have a terrible track record at academic conferences, so I, I feel bad trying to offer advice in this vein. Um, Maybe, sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as far as surviving it, I mean, what I try to do is find other wounded people and kind of find out their stories. Uh, and by, you know, hearing what they're going through and by telling them what I'm going through, we sort of have therapy for each other. Uh, you know, there might come a day, although I don't anticipate it coming where I can go to these things and be in my element and comfortable and confident and all that sort of thing. Uh, I will say that, you know, it is something that if you are in the academy, it's something that institutions look at. It's something they expect you to do. So you kind of have to do it. So, uh, for me, my best survival tip is find the other walking wounded and, have therapy for each other. Michael, do you have anything more optimistic? Yeah, one wins a conference by not taking the conference at all seriously. Um, don't go there expecting to be a <laughs> rock star. Don't go there expecting people to hoist you up on their shoulders. Go there recognizing that it is a break in your normal routine. It's a chance to travel to a hopefully interesting place. A lot of these take place at other colleges. Some take place in big cities. Um, don't feel like you have to go to every panel feel free to skip out feel free to leave feel free to go sightsee um i try to look at them as a vacation more than as a uh as anything else because frankly i've never gotten a whole lot of career help at any of them it's fun to go um present if you're not if if you're convinced that the stakes are low Mm mm-hmm and if if you're like us and have jobs, you're you have a job at an academic conference, which is to be nice and encouraging to the graduate students there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would suggest. Um, well, first, if 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 you're a if you're a graduate student, if you're a student who's looking to go to uh, a first conference. Um, Confer with a, a professor you trust. Confer with your advisor or, or you know some other you know member of the faculty who's been to these kinds of things, and you know ask them seriously what's a good uh, a good starter venue for the the kinds of ideas that I want to present. 
where will I go and not be um, cut off at the knees by the blustering pedant or the walking sneer? Um, where will I find um, an audience that's that's uh, going to understand what I'm talking about, but also you know is supportive and so forth? And so you know, get, getting advice from you know from people who've been in the scene, they understand that it's tough. They've been there too, um, mm -hmm. and so you know. Uh, always going going to your advisor for advice is advisable um, also when you're doing your research um, don't just look at the huge ones the big ones that 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 you know seem to occupy the full field of the disciplines uh, gaze um, those are also often the places where a first-time conference goer or well just any conference goer who isn't a rock star will you know can just get lost you know cast your cast your net further look to you know kind of smaller conferences more regional conferences more discipline specific conferences most of them have websites and uh, if those websites don't have all the information you need to do re web uh, research there's usually someone in that department who's pathetically pleased to tell you about their conference because they want people to come um, look up uh, programs from previous years, look at the titles of papers, and pick the conference that has the most titles of papers that sound like things you would be interested in talking about or listening to. Um, that's, well, honestly, that's how my wife and I ended up going to the Patristic Medieval and Renaissance Conference. We, we looked at past years and thought, man, I would want to be in all of these sessions. And that's how we chose it. So, yeah. So, what's up for next week? We are stealing a page from the podcast uh, Office Hours from Westminster Seminary, California. They've been doing a series where they ask their professors what five books they would like to have on a desert island. The three of us are each going to pick five books. Sweet. Excellent. Yeah, I'm already, already, already thinking. Already oh, and planning. the Bible doesn't count. That's that's their rule. So uh, since we're stealing it from them, <laughs> uh, well, we, get, we should think... have enough of God's hidden in our heart that we don't need to bring it with us, right? <laughs> right. right. You don't have the whole thing memorized. Uh, now, I Michael, think... are you going to go as far as them and say we can have a Greek New Testament and a, a Hebrew Bible? If you would like, I can't read Greek or Hebrew, <laughs> so that wouldn't help me at all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm. I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited about that too, listener. Um, if you have any uh, any feedback about this week's topic, though, any uh, if you've been to any conferences and have uh, interesting stories to tell or any uh, uh, character archetypes you want to introduce us to, uh, feel free to let us know. And uh, if it's funny, especially if it's funny, we'll read it on the air. Um, you can leave it in comments on the blog you can leave it in one of the forums when that opens up in uh the christian humanist forum which you can find through links off of our blog uh which is well christianhumanist.org uh also you can send us emails at the christian at gmail.com uh in the meanwhile uh i wish all of you a grand week uh, and whatever your endeavors are whether high low or middle brow and uh i leave you with Good advice from Martin Luther uh, to let your strength be strong and to let your faith be stronger. You walked into the room 
And the whole place stopped to notice Standing next to you I feel hopeless and you know this I've never been ashamed of my attraction I'd be happy if you gave me just a fraction As we danced I could see Citizens in love I followed your perfume Out away from all the rubble Right up to your room For the drink and travel scrabble Apartment 